Welcome to the Outdoor Country Talk Podcast, hosted by Jacob Poole and Jeremy Shaw, where we bring country living and the great outdoors together. Well, folks, you got us back for another episode of Outdoor Country Talks. Your host, Jacob Poole, and myself, Jeremy Shaw. Well, Poole, I guess we made it through. I got, you know, typical, we got to, you know, bring a little weather in, but we made it through the, um, the duck season weather after duck season and hopefully we're on a trend to you know slowly easily transition us into turkey season well i know that uh, the big frost and the freeze that we had with the snow and the ice that you know last week or week before last the the biggest thing that i noticed for turkeys well first off let me say this i saw more ducks in south mississippi than i have seen <laughs> In a long, long time. I would have loved to have gone and been able to spend time at Lake Mary just to see if it did not remind me of times of old, you know, with the mallards and everything down there. Because I know I had, I had probably 30 to 35 mallards sitting on my cow pond at the house, which is probably an acre, acre and a half of water. And then the gadwall and the teal and the shovelers that were mixed in with it, you know, probably had a good 50, 55 birds that stayed for four or five days solid. Now they've all gone now, but it was, it was really nice to get up in the morning and see them down there and hear them. I I could walk out on the porch and listen to them. Yeah, it was, it was quite pleasant. It was, it was my first experience. I've heard, you know, older people talk about, you know, how the ducks used to be back in the day. You always hear that, but it was pretty refreshing to get out. I think it was that, that Tuesday morning, something like that of the, you know, the week, I guess you could say, quote unquote, the week of the freeze. But, you know, getting out and, and had to go up to the barn, tent some horses and looked across the pond. And it was about, I don't know, 50 mallards and pintails. And they get off of one pond, go to another one that's on our property. And I was like, it's got to be more ducks over there. So I, I get done tending to the horses, get over there and it's, it's mallards, it's widgeon. It's pintails, it's shovelers, gadwall, and I'm like, man, if this could have only happened in December. <laughs> <laughs> December or January. Would have taken in January also. Yeah, yeah. But nonetheless, man, it uh it, it was good to see and and just shows what a little bit of weather would do to some ducks. Well, and to kind of go along with what you were saying there to start with, other than the ducks moving into turkey season it may have slowed an early spring down because I know the last couple of weeks before the, the heavy freeze, I was already starting to see, you know, gobblers and hens spinned up together and, you know, you'd see a few strutting around and starting to, the dance was starting, I guess you could say. And at least for yeah. a week of real cold weather, it probably, it probably slacked some of that off a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. It may help things out. Can't ever tell. But I can say this, I was hoping to catch, and I checked in several places, but I was really hoping to catch some turkeys out in the snow just because it's not something you see here in South Mississippi very often. Yeah, true that. True that. But anyway, we've got a great show lined up getting us into turkey season. I know this is going to release, what, the week before turkey season. And uh, and I don't, I don't know of a better way to really bring us into the turkey season than, uh, than the guests we have on for this show. I don't either, and and I know, and I I don't know if we told him this before, but, you know, 
I had a lot of fun with the questions trying to see what y'all thought, you know, our, our little hunt group that we have on our text messages. And then also I went on to one of the Facebook pages of Mississippi Turkey Hunters and asked the same question, kind of told them, you know, not who we had going on, but that we were going to be talking with a biologist today. And, you know, if anybody had any questions, you know, anything that they thought I could ask on the air, you know, kind of, kind of give them out to us. And, and we had some really good ones on there. We had some of the normal stuff that I was <laughs> expecting on there, but, uh, yeah. you know, some that I felt that we could ask our, our guest today and sure. he would actually, sure. you know, be able to answer for us. So it was, it was a fun project, I guess you could say, because I know I told you and I told him before we started, I've probably done more sit down thinking through, because normally we kind of wing questions, you know, we kind of right. you know, let a customer, you know, let a, let a guest get started and let them talk and, you know, kind of feel them out as we go and, you know, build questions up and go, go with the flow so that the conversation's all smooth. But it was like, you know, this time I've got to, I got to actually put some homework in on this one. <laughs> well, it, I mean, it's a it's a topic when you talk about turkey hunting. It's something that you know we do out the backyard here in Southwest Mississippi, and it's something that we've all, I guess, you and I both have felt educated on. You know, pretty much our entire life is what we grew up doing. But when you get the opportunity to talk to you know a state biologist that is uh, that that is in it, he lives it, he breathes it. You know, and and, and a an expert opinion. You know, somebody we can talk to. You want to. You want to, you know, get get some good stuff out of it. Well, let's let's back up there just a second. You're talking about being educated upon a subject. I feel every time I go turkey hunting, I get re-educated <laughs> by that famous bird. It, it seems like I I add more to my education each and every time. But every trip, one thing that I know I fall short on, and I know a lot of folks in our area do, and a lot of listeners probably do, is habitat management to maximize potential for birds you know uh, right i'm more of a hunter more you know i I raise cattle in a farm but i've never thought about trying to manage the habitat really extensively for turkey hunting and that was one of the reasons really wanted to try to get our guests on today so you know not only could i learn something but maybe some of our listeners could also right right well let's go ahead and introduce our guests that we got on for today Y'all, today we have Mr. Adam Butler. And Adam, if you don't mind, would you tell everybody what your official title is so I don't mess it up? Right. I, I appreciate that introduction, guys. I don't I don't know if I'm an expert. I don't know if there is an expert on wild turkeys, but I, I'm, I'm pleased to be here <laughs> and to talk about turkeys. Yeah, um, my, I'm, the, uh, I'm a wildlife biologist, and my official title would be I'm the Wild Turkey Program Coordinator for the Mississippi Department of Wildlife, Fisheries, and Parks. So I'm sort of our lead guy on everything turkeys um you know management research monitoring um and it's a it's a statewide position so i get to travel a lot and see all different corners of our state doing something different about every day but almost all of it comes back to wild turkeys so uh yeah i'm pleased to be here glad y'all could have me uh it's a great time to be talking about turkeys for sure I don't know if there's a bad time to talk about turkeys. That's <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> the truth. But the, yeah. week, the week before the season is definitely a fine time to jump in on that subject. <laughs> yeah, and this it it sort of caught me this year. You know, I don't. It, it, some years I I feel like I'm um, 
you know, you start anticipating it almost after New Year's, you know, when deer season starts to wane. And in some years, it just, you look up and you're like, holy cow, it's like two weeks out. And that, this is one of those years. I can't believe it's, you know, we're talking today on March 1st. I, I can't believe it. that's the case. You know, youth will be toting a gun a week from today and two weeks from today, you know, uh, it'll be open for everybody. It's slipped up on us. Well, my kids have made sure that I understand that just because adult season starts a week after, if they haven't been successful, that doesn't mean Daddy's adult season starts a week after. So kid, kid season will run <laughs> way longer than one week at my place. So Funny how that works out sometimes. Yeah, have kids. They're fun, they said. Yeah. You know, that, that's always part of it. But, Adam, talking to you earlier and trying to, you know, just visiting a little bit before we got on here, you are an avid turkey hunter and a biologist. And to me, that's a, a great combination because you have more passion and more, you know, more love for what you do. Kind of give us a little bit of, kind of give us a little bit of history on yourself, if you don't mind. Sure. I, well, I, if you've ever heard that old saying about, um, if you choose a career you love, you'll never work a day in your life. That, that applies very much to me. I don't know if it's a good thing or a bad thing sometimes, but, um, yeah, I, I grew up in Lawrence County, so not, not too far from you guys over in Amit, um, south central part of the state. And, um, turkeys are, man, I fell in love with turkeys when I was a, a little, little kid. It's one of, one of the earliest memories in my life is, uh, I was probably about five years old and, and, and watched my dad, uh, shoot a, a double bearded bird back in the, way back in the mid eighties. And, um, I don't know. It, it, it lit something in me then and I was a passionate turkey hunter all through my youth and it's probably one of the few things in my life that's never really changed. Um, I heard you guys mention earlier about being able to hunt out in the backyard. I was lucky enough as a kid to be able to do that. My parents trusted me enough with a shotgun and, and, and our neighbors around where I grew up were, um, they were gracious enough to let me crop around on their place. So I have been crazy about hunting turkeys since since I was a, a really young kid and, um, you know, knew at a fairly early age I wanted to go into wildlife conservation. Um, I, I sort of begrudgingly became a turkey biologist. I, I didn't necessarily want to do that because I didn't want um, my professional career to sort of take away from my personal passion for the bird. Um, but in the end, this is this is where the good Lord put me, and uh, it, it hasn't done that. And I think, if anything, being a a biologist who gets to think about turkeys all the time has made me even more passionate as a hunter. But, um, but yeah, so I'm, I'm a Mississippi guy. I, I, I got a bachelor's degree in wildlife science from Mississippi State and then a master's degree from the University of Georgia and was lucky enough to come back and get a job with the Department of Wildlife and Fisheries here and uh, been working for the agency for 13 years now. I know, you know, we, we kind of talked about some questions that we, we were going to kind of hit today and and just kind of moving into, you know, where we are as a state, where our population is as a state. You know, one of the questions I know I had thrown at you earlier is, you know, the the turkey population in the state of Mississippi now. What is? Mm-hmm. How does it compare to five years ago, ten years ago, fifteen years ago? How are we looking? What? Yeah. Well, I think probably the unanimous answer to that question is that we are down a little bit and i mean you don't have to you know read a whole lot of magazines or or tricks around the internet very much to see a lot of angst and worry about turkey populations really nationwide but particularly here in the in sort of the deep south states 
if you look at Mississippi um, specifically, you know, we were one of the first states to undertake a restocking program way back. So we kind of wrapped that up a lot earlier than a lot of, um, particularly a lot of the northern states and some of the western states did. So our population was really booming, you know, starting in, depending on where you're at in, in the state, but starting in the, the mid-70s and, and by the mid to late 80s, you know, we were at that time um, in the 80s, Mississippi probably had the highest turkey population in the country in the, the southern and central parts of the state. And if you look at our harvest data, it reflects that. Our Mississippi's estimated statewide harvest peaked at, at somewhere around um, 60,000 turkeys, 58, 60,000 turkeys in the mid-80s. And then it fell um, pretty dramatically in the early 90s. Um, and if you're, you know, if you were, have been hunting that long, if you've been hunting more than 30 years, you probably saw that. You probably remember, you know, the 80s just being this, just an insane number of birds and then the early 90s being really tough. Um, and you see that in the data we have. And then, um, things pick back up a little bit and through most of the 90s, our harvest was relatively flat. And then starting kind of in, oh, somewhere around 2010 or so, uh, 2005, 2010, somewhere in there, our harvest started dropping a little bit. And a lot of the different, we can maybe talk at length about some of the different data we have on turkeys, but a lot of the different indices we have declined a little bit then. Um, so if you, if you ask that question, you know, where are we compared to, to where we were at in the past? We probably are down, but now there's, there's caveats to that. Uh, it's really going to depend on, on where you are. I can tell you guys, I'm not going to tell you where, but I can tell you guys, I, I, I was invited with a friend of mine last year. So the 2020 season, I heard more turkeys standing in one spot than I have in 30 years of turkey hunting in Mississippi last season. So there's places where the birds are still doing really, really well. Um, other places where they're definitely way off of what they were. And, you know, some of the reasons for that are a, a little bit understandable. And some of the reasons for that I think leave all of us professional biologists scratching our head. I was about to ask that question that is that, you know, I know you're looking at probably overall data, but it seems like to me, and I'm, I'm primarily just speaking, you know, where we are down here, but it seems like it is better than it, than it was or it has been over the last 10 or 12 years. And that's, mm -hmm. you know, pretty, pretty biased to look at it from just this area. But uh, but I'm like you now. I, I went on a you know a few hunts uh, last year to where I was like, my goodness, there there is some birds here more than I've heard you know. And the last time I was here, which was several years, that I was uh, I was able to go on a hunt on on some public land. But I went out there and uh, and man, I was I was just really really shocked. So I was I was wondering, and I'd kind of read into that that the the total. You know, the, the, the big picture look at it was down, but I didn't think that was, you know, consistent, you know, in, in different regions of the state, I guess you could say. Yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. And, um, you know, I don't, <laughs> I know you're not going to tell me where, where you heard all those birds at, but generally speaking, you know, the, the last several years, the last probably three years, the southern part of the state has been on a, a little bit of a rebound. One of the primary sources of data that we, that we look at and, and we have this here in Mississippi and a lot of other states do too is our, our brood survey data. So during the summertime, June, July, and August, 
we have observers out there, you know, basically counting how many how many big turkeys and how many little turkeys they see, how many grown hens and how many poults are being observed, and then we can track the ratio of those things over time, and that gives a pretty good indication of how good the hatch was, and we can break that data out, you know, by region and, and that sort of thing. And for the most part, that brood data. You know, it, it's a it's a pretty crude survey methodology that probably has a lot of biases associated with it. But for the most part, it tracks harvest trends pretty well. So I have a, a fair amount of um, faith in the data that, hey, if I'm seeing my brood data go way up, it, it is probably indicating something that's real on the landscape. And the last three years, you know, the southern part of the state, um, two of those three have had really good hatches. So um it's, you know, if you're in that south part of the state, very likely you're seeing an increase in birds. Unfortunately, the northern part of the state's exact opposite. So North Mississippi for, for probably over a decade now has really been the wheelhouse of, of some of the most dense and most abundant turkey populations we have. Unfortunately, they've kind of had the opposite happen over the last three years where they've had a succession of, of not good, not so good hatches. And now I know a lot of people are probably listening to this thinking, well, you know, that, that doesn't line up with what's happening on my place. And that's, that's part of what I'm getting at. You know, it, our, our data and the data that I look at is, is a statewide data. And, it, and if you've got great habitat and a great location, you know, you're probably not necessarily seeing the same trend that somebody else is. And, and the opposite of that is true too. You know, even though I'm talking broadly that the southern part of the state has had two good hatches in the last three years and probably seeing a population increase, I'm sure there's a whole lot of people who haven't seen that on their ground. And so that's what makes it really hard to kind of figure out what's going on in the big picture and, you know, broad statements about, you know, turkeys being up or turkeys being down. Um, that's not going to be the case on every single piece of, piece of property, you know. Well, Adam, is there right. anything that just stands out as – you know, you can say this has caused this to help or this has caused this to, you know, that has helped that population either either have a good hatch or not have a good hatch. Is there anything, mm-hmm. you know, you know, we all want that one defining thing that, oh, if you do this, that's going to, you know, make your turkey population be spectacular. But is there anything out there that just really predator management, uh you know, habitat, is there anything that just, you know, kind of leads you to to wonder or I guess know why it has gone up or down? Well, yes, to, to some degree. And I'll, I'll start with probably the easiest to understand. If you're a hunter who hunts in the Delta or hunts along the Mississippi River or some of the major tributaries of the Mississippi River, uh, those turkeys to me are the easiest turkeys in the world to figure out. Because basically if the river floods, they're going to have a bad hatch and you're going to suffer in years to come. If the river stays down, those areas typically have a really good hatch. And if you look at, um, you know, if you look at the, the river flood data and, and what's happened there, um, that area of the state has just not had a very good run of luck for, you know, a little over 10 years now. Um, there's been a couple of years in there where they've, they've managed some good hatches, but for the most part, they've not, you know, the, the, the Mississippi River and those lands behind the levee and that sort of thing, have not managed to have back-to-back-to-back, you know, kind of good hatch years in a long time, and and quite the opposite of that. They've had a lot of flooding. Um, You know, you think about 2019, that record flood that flooded, you know, all that behind the levee in the South Delta and everything for, you know, eight or ten months or whatever it was. 
Um, in that part of our state, that part of Mississippi, no doubt about it, flooding has been more prevalent over about the last 10 years, and turkeys have suffered enormously because of it. The populations have been down, and there's parts of that area, um, like Delta National Forest, for instance, that used to have really strong turkey populations that, that don't anymore, and it's almost 100% due to the flood regime and the effects that had on the hatch. Um, so that's that one's real easy to understand if you're looking at how the river affects those turkeys. Um, a lot of southeast Mississippi um, has been hurting for a long time, um, you know, and that one to me, a lot of that was due to Hurricane Katrina. Katrina, when it came in, um, you know, I saw estimates of up to 80% of the hardwoods in that part of the state were destroyed or put on the ground. And, you know, turkeys being so tied to hardwood, you can't, you can't damage that resource that extensively without it affecting the, the turkey flock somehow or another. That's been 15 years ago now. And, you know, in the last several years of, of, of me visiting different properties and meeting with landowners, you really, have, I'd say in the last five years, you really started to notice a lot of that stuff has grown back. A lot of that stuff is getting more open, um, you know, getting to a point where turkeys can use it. And so it's not, you know, because the habitat is kind of recovered in that part of the state, it's not a huge surprise to me that we've now kind of had a couple of good hatches in that part of the state, too. So those those sort of things have affected stuff. Um, there's other things that we don't really fully have our head around. Um, the, the, the issue with disease and, and having sick turkeys, we've, we've had um, a little bit of an increase in that this year. Um, and it's overlapped some parts of the state that didn't have a really good hatch. I don't know for sure the degree to which that affects things, but it, it leaves you with questions, you know, does it, and what, what role is that playing? Um, so those are some of the things that if we're looking at Mississippi specifically, you know, you can really point a finger to and think about. Um, when we talk about turkeys more generally, uh, if we're talking about, you know, the whole southeastern United States, like I said, you know, there's a lot of people across the southeast that are concerned about turkeys now. I think there's a lot going on that we don't fully have our head around. Um, turkeys have been studied a lot in a lot of different places. I, I dare say as far as game species go, they're, they're more heavily uh, researched than, than most, than most other game species. And so we, we really understand a lot about um what you might call the basic ecology, you know, how many eggs do they have, what their survival tends to be, what type of habitats they like to select, you know, those basic things. But we don't really have a great understanding of what you might call population biology, you know, what really drives their populations up or down. Um, you know, we know it has to do with, with reproduction and recruitment and hatches and that sort of thing, but we don't really fully understand what drives the differences in those things, why you can have a great hatch in one year and a bad hatch in another year. Um, that All of that sort of stuff is still sort of out there to be discovered, but it, it, it definitely is playing into what we're seeing going on around the region. A- answer me this. Here's a thought that just came to my mind. When a turkey, when a hen normally lays, she normally has how many eggs? Um, you could what, say 8 to 12 would be kind of average. 8 to 12? And that's based mm-hmm. off of habitat, protein, anything like that, or is that just pretty well statewide or, or country? Yeah, it's 
you know, you, different studies report different a different average on that. Um, generally, the 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 initial nest is going to be fairly standard. It's going to be you know kind of in that you know ten to twelve egg range. But if they re-nest, there's usually going to be fewer, and that's probably based on um, you know the physiological condition of her at the time. So, in a in a in a general sense, you're right that that her um, her health as a result of the habitat she's in, probably does play into that somewhat. Okay, so, but the habitat, it plays into it, but then also the hatch rate, survival rate, comes to many factors, you know. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, we, we know fire ants, coons, coyotes, bobcats, hogs, everything, everything and anything loves turkey nest. So that survival rate, I guess, is thrown on by all you know a, a large manner of different things that out in the environment that could actually you know have an effect on on the hatch ratio survival right and that's that's yeah you're getting at some of the stuff that we don't understand really well one of the one of the big black boxes of, of sort of basic turkey biology relates to the pulps because they're so hard to study you know it's it, you know, we can catch grown turkeys and put radio collars on them and follow them around, and figure out what they're doing. But you can't really do that with a, you know, with a with a week old turkey pole. They don't they don't take to handling very well. And so there's a lot about what drives their survival that 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 we don't fully understand as well. Obviously, habitat is a big big part of that. You know, brood habitat. Anytime you're talking turkey management, brood habitat is something you're going to spend a lot of time focusing on. It's a very specific sort of cover. And the availability of it really matters. You know, there's there's work that shows if a hen has to travel a long distance in those initial days after her hatch to get to good brood habitat, the survival of the brood is going to be much worse than it would be otherwise. So all of that's playing into it. But, you know, you just see um, what what keeps me up at night scratching my head and, and, and wondering is, is sort of the variation that you see from year to year, you know, that you can have a really, really bumper hatch in one year and then go two or three years and have a very poor hatch. And the, what makes those patterns happen is, is sort of a, a great mystery. And, um, like I said, keeps me up at night. I wish I knew, you know, what's driving the population with all of that. But, um, at the broad scale, you know, when you're talking about the Southeast as a whole, there's a lot of those sort of questions being asked because I think a lot of states are like Mississippi and they're looking at their harvest data, they're looking at those sort of things, and, and they're seeing trends that are, um, you know, a little bit concerning. Um, you know, turkeys are not, you know, we're, we're nowhere near the, the plight of bobwhite quail or something like that, and I don't think turkeys will ever go to that extent. Um, but we're starting to see some trends that are, you know, getting people's attention, and because of that, you're seeing a, a real resurgence in turkey research and 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 people asking questions about the bird and their populations and how to understand those things well and you know some of the adam some of the questions that we had sent you earlier that that kind of falls into one of them you know i I guess most of the research now would and, and let me ask this to make sure i'm even right on this would you say that most of your research is done on public or private land um it depends we the, probably the majority 
if you, if you look at everything that's done with wild turkeys in Mississippi and throughout the South, most of it's going to be coming from public land. Uh, if you're talk, especially if you're talking about, um, you know, radio collar type studies and that sort of thing, you're going to be talking mostly about public land. And that's, that's primarily, um, done because of just the logistics of it. It's a, it's a, Usually those are going to be larger areas. Turkeys roam a lot, so you want a large area and you don't, you know, generally don't have to worry about, you know, your radio collared bird getting on a place you don't have permission to go or something like that. And it's a steady land base. Um, but that's not the only, you know, stuff we have. One, one of the things here in Mississippi that I get a tremendous amount of information from, and we could, you know, we'd call it research or we could call it monitoring is our spring gobbler hunting survey, which is, a voluntary survey um, conducted by turkey hunters all over the state. We send it out. We, in a, you know, we in a given year we send uh, data collection booklets out to about 1,200 people, um, and mo- the vast majority of the data they're recording is coming from private land. So they're recording how many turkeys they're hearing and seeing and harvesting and that sort of stuff. So that gives us data on the trends that you're seeing in the population and most of that is coming from private land so we do we do have a little of both it depends on what you're talking about most of the radio telemetry type data generally speaking is coming from public land um a lot of the monitoring data though we do have available um is coming off of private land okay and i adam i participated in that. i think it was i guess it was last year i did that i didn't that's the first time i'd ever done it before and i got the booklet in and you know, heck, it, it it made me pay a little bit more attention to you know what I was hearing, what I was seeing, uh, you know, harvest stuff like that, and and that's pretty neat. I I was you know that kind of spurred me whenever you started talking. About it. I was like, I wonder how many people across the state you know participate in this and actually you know help you guys out with that data. So about is it consistent about twelve hundred a year? You said. Yeah, we, we send it out to about that many people a year. Uh, we don't necessarily get data back from, from that many folks. Um, right. but it's a statewide map, you know, um, every county in the Mississippi get, has data coming back from it. Um, there's parts of the state I wish we had better participation. The southeast part of the state and the northeast really are a little lagging, but, um, I wish we could get some more people enrolled in those regions, but we get a lot of information back from that. If you've ever, um, seen the, the spitting and drumming turkey report that the Department of Wildlife and Fisheries puts out every year. The right. data that you see in that is coming from those hunters. So we don't share, you know, we're not going to share publicly, you know, where where you heard turkeys or how many you heard, but we do aggregate all that together so that we can look at, well, you know, hey, goblin activity in this part of the state tends to be at this time or uh, turkey observations in this area of the state are, are going up or going down. Um, it's really a great resource, um, and we we got that data going back all the way to 1995, so over 25 years now. Um, and we're actually um, using it right now. I don't know if we're going to talk some about um, you know season frameworks and that sort of thing, but right now we're we're working with Mississippi State on a project to take a lot of that information that hunters like yourself have collected and use it to um, assess how different changes to our season might would affect what hunters are seeing and hearing if we were to go down that road so it is getting put to use and it's a it's a great data set i encourage any any turkey hunter to, that that you know whether you 
hunted all your life or just got into it doesn't really matter we we really uh encourage folks to enroll in that participate it's easy to do takes you just a second after your hunt um and you're getting a lot of information that comes back to us just one question that just popped in my mind is there any chance here in the near future that that would go to an electronic process kind of like you know that the mdwp app you know we could log yeah. that kind of stuff in I hope so. Actually, I had a, uh, a meeting with one of our uh, folks in our uh, IT division just the other day about that. So I do hope we're going to have that out there um, at some point. Yeah, that'd be pretty cool. You know, just log it real time. Hey, I got back to the mm-hmm. truck. You know, let me log log in. You know, what I heard, what I saw, what I killed. You know, you know, I know we got the electronic tagging process now, but you know, just just the data piece of it that you. That all all the things you log into that book, you know what county you're in, all that kind of stuff. You know, I think that would be, you know, probably easier on the hunter, I guess. Right. With this, with I, this I hope day we can go that way. Um, you know, we've had great success with our our smartphone app so far. I I was um, blessed enough to be involved with the process of, of game check. You know, we game check was something we we've been trying to get in place for many many years, and it just so happened that um, it, it all came together while I'm the program coordinator overseeing that. So I got to work with a lot of computer programmers and IT people on that app, and I learned all kind of new terminology and, <laughs> and stuff from the, the computer coding world that doesn't make a lot of sense to me. But I know that the app itself has really been adopted by a lot of people. Um, it's not the only way you can you can game check your turkey, but we've got data showing, um, I, I forget, I think it's 86% of people who reported the turkey last year reported it through our game check app. So definitely that technology has been adopted, you know, broadly, um, more so than I would have expected. Um, and so I do hope that that spring gobbler survey that, that we're talking about, we can get that on something similar to get it out to more people. Well, I guess that's, that moves moves into to one question. Whenever we, Jacob and I were talking about, you know, what potential questions we wanted to want to discuss with you. You know, with the with the with the game check app and what the how long has that been out now? A couple of few years. I can't even remember. Twenty nineteen was the first season. Yeah. Okay. Two, two so, seasons. So, so the completion of two seasons. Is it too early, or has there been talk about any changes in our season or changes in regulation as a result of doing that? Or are we still kind of too early into the game and and to, to really pull data to have that big of an influential change? Yeah, well, I, I, yeah, yes and no. We, we are very much involved in the process of, of looking at all that. And I'll, um, I'll, I'll tell our listeners, if they haven't seen it before, I, I would encourage everybody to go look at the, the, the comprehensive management plan we put together a few years ago for wild turkeys. It's on the MDWFP website. Um, and it was really in response to our commission, um, recognizing that, hey, a lot of what a lot of what we just talked about that hey turkeys aren't doing quite as good as they used to you know they're doing well in some places but not others there's concerns out there we're hearing concerns both within Mississippi and regionally within the south and so they tasked us with sitting down and, and coming up with a strategy to um, I guess move wild turkey management in Mississippi forward and we we did a lot of things with that we um put together all the available data that we had from, you know, the different sources that we're talking about, spring dollar survey, our, our estimated harvest stuff, um, WMA harvest data, all of that, put it together. Um, we talked to different focal groups. 
um, composed of, of, of different, you know, hunters, conservation officers, researchers, different, different groups of people who, who think about turkey management in different ways. Um, we looked at some of the things from past studies that have shown to be limiting the turkeys. And then we kind of laid out, you know, um, the boring parts of a strategic plan that we want to try to move the ball forward. Um, game check was one of those things. So I'm, I'm real proud that we were able to get that in place, having a, a mandatory harvest reporting system. You know, Mississippi's, um, we were one of the last states to, to not have either, you know, physical tags or mandatory reporting or some form of that. Most other states have had that for a while. Um, and then one of the things that kept coming up as we're putting that together, um, was our season frameworks. And, and is that something we need to look at and how to do that? Um, right now, Mississippi has the longest season in the country. I think if you include, um, if you include the youth season, we've got 55 days of total turkey hunting opportunity, which is longer than any other state. Um, we have a three bird bag limit, which is kind of, you know, there are a few states that have a higher bag limit than that, but three's on the more liberal side. Um, we don't shoot jakes, so that's a pretty conservative measure we have. But overall, you know, we have a really, really liberal framework. You could say one of the most liberal frameworks in the country. And so that's, you know, if you're talking about declining numbers and um, worry and anxiety about turkey populations, you know, and you have a real liberal season, that's obviously some place that you want to look. So we're we're already doing things to address that. Um, one of the first things we did that also went in place in 2019 was we took a subset of WMAs where we, we moved the season back to April 1st and it still ends May the 1st. So you basically have a, a one month season where you more or less were taking two weeks or a little more off the total length and then moving the start date back. So we did that on some WMAs, but not all WMAs so that it could serve as sort of a, a case study. Each of those WMAs that received that April 1 season sort of had a sister WMA nearby that was similar in size and similar in habitat that didn't get that season. And so now we'll be able to do it, you know, directly compare between those two. We wanted to run that little experiment for three years, and then we would be able to compare what we're seeing on those different areas. Um, we've also uh, initiated a project with, with Mississippi State doing um, basically modeling out what we would expect to ha see happen if we, you know, change the length of the season, if we drop the bag limit, um, if we, you know, did things like Missouri, like a 1 p.m. closure like Missouri, like any and all different measures that you could think of to, to try to alter a, a framework, we're going to use real data to look at how that would be expected to affect turkey populations going forward. Um so game check data will be part of that. Uh, the spring gobbler hunter survey data is part of that. Um, existing data from, from past telemetry studies and that sort of thing here is, is part of that. So we, we hope that that process will lead us to a place where if we need to make a recommendation to alter the season, we're doing it with sufficient data and we're doing our due diligence so that whatever recommendation we're putting out there will be in the best interest of turkey hunters. Probably picked up. I, I'm a turkey hunter myself, so I feel very, very strongly that, um, you know, it, it's, it's incumbent upon um, the Department of Wildlife to, to only make those recommendations if we can really back it up, if we've got the data to show that, yes, you know, doing X, Y, or Z 
should translate into, you know, A, B, and C, that we expect to, to see an increase in birds out there on the landscape. Well, and would you see that being a long-term change or, hey, we're going to try this for three years, we think this is going to have a major effect, after three years we're going to reevaluate, and if it's if it's had the effect that we want and we have the birds back that we think we should have, then possibly we could make a change again, you know, add more days back or, you know, whatever change that you actually made to it, put it back again the other way, or would it be something you think would be a long-term if you made well, any change? Well, I guess, you know, right now we're still in the middle of all that, so I don't want to speculate too much. Um, you know, I, I want to sort of remain unbiased in the process, but okay. I, I think we will always be open to altering the season um, if the data shows that that's, that's the right thing to do. But I, I feel very strongly that, you know, as a state agency, we shouldn't just be frivolously changing the season. We should only be doing it if we have data to back up that, hey, this is this is going to yield to a positive, uh, something positive for turkey hunters. And like I said, right now we're kind of going at it two different ways. We've got that subset of WMAs that we're monitoring. Um, and then we've, we've initiated a project with MSU where we're, you know, g- giving some really smart people a lot of data and they're going to take that data and look at the patterns and trends in that and, and be able to give us what we need to make a decision, you know, the right way. Well, Adam, kind of moving on to a different topic here, you know, we had a lot of a lot of folks kind of reach out and ask us and, you know, different things that we were going to try to talk about with you. But for private landowner standpoint, can you kind of give a top three things that maybe a private landowner can do that would help them to benefit turkey production on their property? Sure. Um, I think when it comes to managing land for turkeys, sometimes the things you don't do are just as important as the things that you you, you do do. So um, if you already have a, a place that's got a lot of birds on it, um, you know, you really got to be particular about how you how you treat it. So one thing, you know, cardinal sin with turkey management. Um, if you're in an area where hardwoods are already fairly limited, and, and when I say that, I say if if your place has less than about forty percent hardwoods on it, uh, don't cut your hardwoods and convert those over to something else. That's that's one of the easiest things um, to avoid if turkeys are our top priority now. There's places where if, if you, you know, if nothing, if, if your whole entire property is covered by hardwoods, you know, certainly you want to get in and, and you can do some, uh, timber harvest and that sort of thing. Um, but if you're, if, if that's a limited feature on your property or on the landscape around you, um, you know, definitely don't do anything to, um, to, to minimize the, the value of that particular habitat type. That's really, really important. Um, Kind of likewise, um, turkeys are, you know, don't have to tell hunters this, turkeys are sort of creatures of habit. And a lot of times they have particular areas that are more heavily used than others. And so when I'm, I'm talking to landowners about, you know, doing a, a timber harvest or doing something to their property, if they have those places and they know that, hey, the turkeys always like to roost on that, you know, that side slope of that hill, um, 
again, sort of treat those areas as, as sort of off limits to anything really aggressive. You know, try to leave them like they are and, you know, work around those places to keep them intact and keep the birds using them the way they, the way they are. Um, another, as far as things you can do, I, I would say, um, top of the list, almost no matter whether you're in the piney woods or whether you're in big hardwoods or whether you're in the delta, um, is corridor management. And what I mean by that is look at your place and, and think about the different, um, parts of your place that are, you know, really the, the prime turkey areas and then think about the connectivity between those things. And, and you always want to ensure that birds are able to move, you know, through your place easily, uh, that all the different habitat features are sort of connected to one another. And, you know, part of that is, is managing things like your, your streamside management zones, your SMZs along, um, you know, creeks or streams or, or, or what have you where you maintain in good hardwood buffers around those. So those are important for acorn production and for foraging and for that sort of stuff. But they're also really important for, you know, traveling from place to place on a property for the turkey. You can do the same thing with roads. Um, you know, try to manage your roadsides and provide wide road shoulders, provide the, the sort of cover along those things that are going to be real conducive to turkeys and, and, set it up in such a way that you're connecting different habitat features together. So you want turkeys to, you know, during the daytime they're constantly moving and you want them to be able to just move sort of uninhibited to all points on your property. That seems to really help. Um, like I said earlier, you know, brood habitat is a is a big part of producing turkeys and turkey management. And so when we're talking about brood habitat, you're talking about sort of you know, low, what we would call early successional cover, low scrubby, lush type cover. And, you know, depending on where you're at and, and what type of, what type of, uh, habitat or structure you already have may dictate how that gets managed. So, you know, it, it may be something like thinning your pines and then implementing a, a aggressive prescribed burn regime. Um, it may be, uh, a selective thinning and some hardwoods to do that. It may be managing existing openings or creating new openings. Um, all of those things are things you could do to, to make more brood habitat on the place. Um, so those are sort of some of the things that, that really pop up. Um, you know, protect your hardwoods, protect the places that are sort of those ancestral roosts or those, those places that are real key to how turkeys use your property. Think about how those things are interconnected, and if they're not interconnected, do something so that they are, so that turkeys can move and access everything on your property really easily, uh, and then manage to create rooting and nesting cover. And that's going to, you know, how you might do that would be dictated by um, what you already have there. But usually prescribed fire, um, that's going to be a big part of it. Um, you know, thinning timber is going to be a part of that. Managing openings will be a part of that. So all of those things are, are sort of the keys to turkey management. Well, Adam, that kind of leads me into another question. Are there any programs right now with the state or through any of the other organizations, NWTF or anybody like that, that are out there to help private landowners to be able to set up or be able to manage programs or, or habitat on their property? Is there anything out there now for private landowners? 
Yeah, absolutely. If if you're a landowner or a hunting club, you know there, there's really no excuse to, to to go at it alone and guess. Um, there's there's a wealth of different resources available. Um, I would say, you know, one of the first things you can do if you're if you're really thinking seriously about turkey or wildlife management is, is sort of building a team of people. Um, that may include a, a biologist from our agency. That, a real common thing that we do is go out and meet with private landowners to help. Um, give advice that's specific to their property and, 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 um, help develop a management plan going forward. Um, you know, different, um, different entities like, uh, NWTF and others have those sort of resources. Um, if you look at NRCS and FSA, uh, so that's the Natural Resource Conservation Service, uh, or the Farm Service Agency, there's a, a lot of different resources they have available for private landowners, um, given different situations. Um, the Mississippi Forestry Commission is, is a, a resource and certainly, you know, having a, a good consulting forester on your place, um, you know, having all those different minds to look at a piece of property and, and think through, you know, most landowners are going to have you know, different objectives. It's very rare for a person to say, hey, all I care about is managing for turkeys and that's it. So usually you're going to have competing objectives that might be, you know, managing for turkeys, managing for deer, managing for timber, managing for aesthetics, all those different things. So you have to think through uh, each of those things and then consider trade-offs and, and, you know, having different individuals involved in that process are going to bring different ideas to the table because no no one property is going to be exactly the same. Um, but all of those are out there, and, um, you know, I would encourage anybody who's interested in management to, to reach out. And um, like I said, uh, our NDWFT can be a, a first stop in that journey. We have folks available to come out and meet with you and um, and help guide you along and then recommend some of those others who can help build your team up. Is there a, all right, say a landowner, if he has, is there a size requirement, you know, an acreage requirement before any of the programs will really? Um, no, no, not really. I mean, we, we'll meet with any landowner. Obviously, you know, if you're, you know, if you've only got 40 acres, your ability to influence, you know, turkey populations and everything's going to be a little different than if you've got 4,000 acres, but we're certainly willing to help anybody. Okay. I, I didn't know if there was any type of, you know, if you had 10 acres, 40 acres, 100 acres, you know, if there was a kind of a cutoff there at the bottom to see. No, we'll, was... we'll, we'll come out and, uh, and help anybody. Okay. Good deal. Adam, man, we, we really appreciate you, you know, taking time out of your busy schedule. I know you're, you're, uh, you're probably getting wound tight, kind of like everybody else and anticipating this turkey season. We, we really appreciate you, uh, you know, sitting down and, and talking with us. I think it, uh, I think it turned out to be a great show. Yeah. Well, I appreciate you guys having me. I hope I didn't ramble too much, but you know, talking about turkeys is something I'm passionate about. And, uh, so I, I tend to, to go on. Um, hopefully it's going to be a good season. I, you know, depending on where you're at in the state, um, you know, like, like I said, looking at the data we've got, the southern part of the state, you know, I, I think folks are going to have a smile on their face. The northern part of the state, uh, still going to be pretty good, but maybe off, off from what we've been the last couple of years. Um, the interesting thing coming into this year, y'all touched on it at the beginning is kind of where we're at in the process. You know, I, um, I had thought earlier maybe this was going to be an early spring, but if you look at, you know, at where we stand right now on March the 1st, 
a lot of the stuff blooming out and that kind of thing is, uh, I'm going to say it's behind, but it's certainly not as early as it has been the last few years. So it's going to be interesting to see how that plays into gobbling, whether they're fired up on opening day or whether the, you know it's going to be a couple of weeks in before it gets really good. Well, you right. know, Adam, we had right. kind of we had kind of touched on this earlier a little bit, talking about length of season and stuff. But you know, as an avid turkey hunter for a long time, and I'm sure y'all y'all have comments on this too. But you know, there's some years where you know the first week of season's real slow. You don't really hear anything mm-hmm. gobbling. Nothing's really starting to move. Nothing's really kicking off. And then some years you have where the last week of season, you you can tell it's already done. You know, you, mm-hmm. you, your hens have all gone to nest. You know, your gobblers aren't gobbling anymore. It's pretty well, you know, if, if you get one, it's a it's a pass by. He's not really, you know, the show's almost over. So you kind of wonder sometimes with playing with, you know, different things there, you know, whether we have an early spring or a late spring, you know, it can kind of throw different numbers off. But, you know, one thing that we didn't talk about real quick before we get off, and I know we're getting down towards the end, but, Somebody sent me a map the other day of the harvest report across the state of Mississippi. And I was looking at it and I said, okay, Amick County, Wilkinson County, we're, we're going to be just, you know, high numbers, Franklin County, you know, the areas that we hunt along the home of Chinna, I said, you know, we're, we're going to be the top dogs in the state on harvest numbers. And, and we really weren't. I was kind of shocked at looking at some of the counties across the state going, you know, man, I really didn't know they had birds. Yeah, caught caught me about the same way when I I saw the same thing you did, Jacob. Yeah, the uh the reports up, you know, the northern, northeast, north central part of the state really had some really awesome harvest numbers and it was like, hmm, okay, I've never even thought about hunting that part of the state. You know, we we hunt down here around the house and and don't really you know, if I go venturing out I, I you know, I try to go out of state and go hunt somewhere completely different, but it was different to see that you know, different parts of the state had really good numbers that I was not expecting at all. Yeah, and that that was really one of the primary reasons we needed to have the mandatory harvest reporting system. So, the, you know, the, the, the central argument for having Game Check was to allow us to have county-level harvest data like that because we, we've got, um, and we don't probably have time to go into it, but we've got, you know, reasonably defensible estimates of harvest at the statewide level and there's some you know biases and, and, and things with how we estimate all of that but we we have a statewide number and we've had that number for a long time but we've never before game check had county level harvest and could look at a map like like you're talking about where we know okay well this part of the state seems to be really doing good or this part of the state seems to be really doing poorly and you know those are important things to know as we go forward with turkey management it, it it's you know it, it may not be a one size fits all for every part of the state and having data down to the county level is a key in you know putting all that piece of the puzzle together well like i say i i found it very very interesting just to to be able to look at different parts of the state and go you know i, I never realized that county even had turkeys or had a population where that type of harvest could even even happen so yeah. It, one other thing on that, it, it's real interesting if you're, as we watch that data come in real time and, and you could do it too. You know, we have the map up on the website, but if, if you watch it, um, the southern part of our state tends to come on a little earlier than the northern part of our state. You know, the, the, we, there's about a two week difference in the peak of gobbling from South Mississippi to North Mississippi. And you see that in that harvest data. You know, a lot of those, 
a lot of the southern counties will be sort of leading the way early. And then, you know, starting around April 1st or a little later, a lot of those northern counties start coming on really strong. And, and you're correct in that the last couple of years, those uh, kind of north central part of the state has been really the leader in harvest. Um, but it's not necessarily the leader, you know, that week of March 15th because those birds up there are a little bit further behind. They're not gobbling quite as good and it, it's much more yeah. hit or miss up there, but they're going to come on, you know, when we, when we get green out and get kind of on into April, they're going to come on and, and it'll end up the way it did. Good Adam. deal, Adam. Look, man, we appreciate it. It's, uh, it was a good show. Thank you again for, for taking time out of your busy schedule to hop on with us and, uh, and good luck to you this season, man. Hope you have a hope it's this year's your best season ever. Yeah, you guys too. I mean, any any time in the turkey woods is a good time. Um, so I'm looking forward to it, and I know you guys are too. Appreciate y'all having Absolutely, me on, man. Well, everybody, we hope you enjoyed this episode of Outdoor Country Talk. God bless. God bless. Well, ain't nothing like a southerner. Lord, to make you feel alright. I got the windows down. I got the radio on. I got the music crank way of loud, rowdy reputation hidden out of town.